Welcome to Two Guys in the Bible, a conversation on theology, culture, and God's Word. My name is Eric Leupold, and I'm joined, as always, with my brother in the Lord, Dylan Keniston. Good morning, Dylan. How are you doing today? Doing well, brother. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great on this fine, cold, January, windy day. A little icy outside. But uh, you got here to church all right? Yeah, yeah. Quick and easy. Uh, no problems. It had snowed pretty drastically the night before, but, uh, you know, Emily and I were hanging out last night, and then we saw, you know, we were watching a movie, and then right kind of behind our behind the television, there's a window. You can see the roads, and you see the only people that she was like, oh, the only people who are outside are salt trucks. I'm like, praise the Lord for the, the work that the salt truck drivers <laughs> salt are doing. You know, salt of the air is coming in and just making sure they're paving the way that we can uh, get to church this morning. So uh, praise true. the Lord for the salt truck drivers. I'm very thankful for the salt yes. trucks. <laughs> that is true. And But um, we are also joined this morning by uh, a good friend, uh, Chris Becker. Say hello, Chris. How good are morning, you? everyone. How's everyone doing today? <laughs> we're good. We're glad to have you on today, Chris. And uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, we are a, um, a listener-supported podcast, so we always appreciate your feedback, your questions, uh, your, your thumbs up, your five-star ratings, if it is worthy of that, of course, be honest. But uh, certainly all that goes uh, much uh, forward to helping us keep the lights on. Um, today, we invited uh, Chris on the show, and he's going to uh, uh, give his credentials here shortly and explain to you why he's here. But uh, we want to talk about a topic that is, uh, is a you know, very, fairly uh, well-known culturally, I, should, I suppose. It's a very popular t- topic culturally. It's a topic about uh, organic foods, uh, uh, GMO foods, all-natural foods, uh, things like that. And... Uh, the reason why we are talking about this is uh, I've had conversations with Chris several times before, and I've I've always learned uh, a lot uh, about it. Things I've I have not known before uh, regarding foods, uh, the foods that I've eaten, the foods that I've purchased, and I've honestly had some questions about how to go about uh, living my life and and doing things well. And approaching uh, this from a Christian perspective, you know, as a father, as a husband. I want to be a good steward of the money that God has given me, right? I don't just, you know, don't want to spend it uh, when I don't need to spend it and wasting it uh, when I could be more economical with it and saving it for other purposes, you know, children's college fund, you know, whatever the case may be, replacing, you know, my roof or my refrigerator. Um, But at the same time, I also want to be a good steward of my body. Uh, I want to eat healthy. I want to uh, be around for my children and my grandchildren, uh, God willing. And I don't really want to get any kind of diseases or cancer or anything like that. If I can avoid it, obviously there are certain things we can't avoid. Um, one of which is going to be the cell phone in my pocket. I mean, no one knows, uh, you know, decades from now, how much cancer we're going to get from these phones attached to our ears and our hips. Uh, and whatnot. No one did any testing for that. But that being said, um, uh, there are some things we can control, one of which being the food that goes into our bodies and into our children's bodies. And so that's why, uh, from that perspective, and also one last perspective is the environment. The culture uh, is, you know, American culture is big into green and and 
you know, there's a lot of concerns regarding our climate, and we're not going to talk too much about climate today, but people are arguing that, uh, you know, eating meat or not eating meat or eating certain foods, using pesticides, all of that will contribute towards some sort of catastrophe uh, toward, uh, of the environment, whether it's globally or just in the United States. And of course, as Christians, we don't want to be accused of not caring about God's creation about the planet. Um, I'm not, I don't hold to the idea that uh, it's all going to burn in the end. Let's just use it all up anyways and have fun. No, it's not really about that. I do care about what we're, what we're doing. And, and I want to see my children have, and my grandchildren have a, an environment that they can live in, you know, not some of these dystopian futures there. So, so I guess that's kind of my own personal reasons as for, uh, you know, inviting Chris on the show here uh, to talk about uh, this topic. So, so with that uh, introduction there, uh, Chris, would you be so kind as to share uh, your own background, experience, credentials, uh, job description with us today? Sure. Uh, my name is Chris Becker, and I am currently the Director of Agricultural Operations at Delaware Valley University. Uh, I have 15 years of uh, agricultural-related experience specializing actually in tree fruit production. Uh, I've been um, on the same farm in Bucks County uh, for the last 15 years and even dating back further than that when I was a little younger, helping out when I was in high school. Uh, we produce um, uh, apples specifically. But at DelVal, I've been involved in the uh, production of fruit, vegetables, uh, all of our agronomic crops, all of our animal products. Uh, we have a dairy, we have uh, beef production, we do sheep, we have horses. So I work directly with the dean of ag and the ag managers to maintain the health and well-being, uh, well-being of all of our ag departments. Um, so I get out on a day-to-day basis, uh, you know, and a hands-on uh, opportunity with uh, all of those pieces. Um, I have a, a private uh, pesticide applicators license through the state of Pennsylvania, which allows me to purchase and utilize restricted use pesticides. So go a little bit beyond what you could purchase in Home Depot. Uh, we know that you can get, you know, your, your Roundup and your, your insecticides and things like that for homeowners use. This goes one step further where, you know, I've been trained to handle, uh, you know, uh, pesticides and apply them in a manner that is, uh, you know, matches the label. Uh, there's uh, quite a bit of restrictions on how you can handle how you store, how you utilize those pesticides uh, for the protection of not only myself, the general public, but then the end consumer who would then be, uh, you know, uh, eating those foods that we're producing using some of those products to uh, uh, help us along the way um, to, uh, you know, provide the best possible product for the end consumer. Um, So, uh, you know, that gives me some experience uh, long-term, gives me an opportunity. Uh, when you are a pesticide uh, applicator in the state of Pennsylvania, you're required to maintain continuing education credits. So on an annual basis, I do have to be in the classroom and be brought up to speed on uh, the newest changes, the newest regulations, uh, labeling laws, uh, personal protective gear. Um, you know, Anything that changes in that industry has to be uh, passed along to uh, the end user. Uh, so we're in the classroom uh, you know, uh, oh, many hours a year um, to maintain that license and maintain our, uh, you know, the health and well-being of everyone around. That's okay. All right. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, and thank you for that uh, introduction there. And, and that's exactly why we wanted you on the show today to, to help us understand and, and really discern and, cl- and bring clarity to uh, the topic. And so really, before we even dive into the details, 
uh, like any good discussion, we do have to define our terms properly uh, uh, or else we'll end up talking past each other. Our culture is talking past itself regarding what what do these things mean. So um, let's first just kind of start with, you know, maybe organic or, or, or GMO. And it doesn't really matter what order you want to go in for that because, you know, you know best when it comes to these topics. But what does like organic technically mean and versus what do most people think it means when they're shopping? So a great topic of concern is always in, you know, uh, definitions. So uh, we look at things like the term organic and everyone, for whatever reason, whether they've been educated or have caught some news, you know, on the news media or on the Internet, um, you know, kind of provide their own definition. But specific definition for organic means that that item was produced without any chemically engineered products being applied. Uh, whether that be pesticides, insecticides, um, it, it means that uh, you know natural products have been utilized to maintain the production of that fruit, that vegetable, or that agronomic crop. Not man-made chemicals. Not man-made chemicals. Okay. So um, it, it also means and carries the connotation that for the previous three years prior to that production, that no chemical. Uh, man-made chemical has been utilized on that piece of ground as well. Okay. So there are specific designations to organic. Um, it, you know, from a positive nature, you you have a piece of land that's been utilized in a certain manner, and it has to meet those standards every single season in order to maintain that status. You cannot sell that product as organic without meeting okay. USDA guidelines for organic production. Okay. Okay. So we provide a definition for what organic means, but what that doesn't provide you with is what can be utilized to produce organic. Okay. Because now we've taken out the man-made chemicals, but it has not taken away items that may naturally occur. So something that is a naturally occurring uh, insecticide or would to enhancement are allowed to be utilized in organic farming. So it is not considered to be completely free of any additional assistance in production. Okay. So people tend to believe that organic means untouched. Ah. That is not in fact the case. Okay. Untouched means untouched. Organic means that we have used other products that are naturally occurring to help us stave off insects, to help us produce healthier, stronger crops. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean free of human interference. Okay. Are those natural products generally, are they more effective than the man-made products in general? Are they healthier or better for you than the man-made products in general? So like anything else, you're going to find naturally occurring items that are both positive and negative. Okay. And a lot of that comes to do with volume. So you can use a product that is naturally occurring, and if you use it in a small amount, perfectly safe. But drink a whole gallon, (laughs) detrimental to your health, just like anything else would be. So yes, so there is is, uh, both pros and cons. So you have naturally occurring items, but if left unattended, placed in the wrong container, the same thing we talk about for pesticide safety is still a safety concern. So you don't want to drink, you know, a naturally occurring item in volume that could still damage you greatly. So I don't want to speak that organic is is damaging in any way, but 
there's opportunity that there is things being utilized in organic production that could still have negative effects. But like everything else, we are still working on those pieces. So I think that the takeaway is organic has standards, but organic does not mean that it is free from human interference. I think those okay. would be the two lines that would be most meaningful. Okay, so would for something to be free from human interference, would that be like all natural? All natural, unfortunately, isn't even a term that USDA defines appropriately. Oh, really? They, you do a little bit of research, and unfortunately, that term has not been defined very well at all. Uh, all natural uh, is is more of a marketing terminology that you're going to find in the supermarket, more so than an official USDA regulated term. Um, unfortunately. They're, you know, all natural to you and I may mean something totally different than the actuality of what's in the product. So labeling comes into a lot of these uh, conversations because what you see at the supermarket um, as a buzzword, we'll call it, you're going to see, you're going to see colors related around it. You're going to believe that there's a connotation associated with that. But unfortunately, a lot of those pieces are paid for and are bought as labeling additions to most of the products you're going okay. to buy in the store. So there's no standard for So that, when it comes natural. to all natural, there is not a specific standard as of right now, a set of guidelines that would make all natural being different than organic, non-organic, something along okay. those lines. Okay. Yeah. And I guess maybe the last definition for us to talk about would be the GMO. So can you kind of lay out for us what GMO is, what is it not? What does it stand for? So one of the things we talk about with GMOs, and that right there in and of itself, you know, the definition of a GMO is genetically modified organism. Uh -huh. So, uh, you know, uh, GMO uh, means that we have uh, taken a look at a potential genetic um, uh, piece that is a positive trait in uh, one piece of agriculture, and we have taken that and utilized it in another product, utilizing the same traits in a product that may not be able to use it itself. So one of the big, so genetically modified things that you hear about most often are, um, you know, agronomic crops or corn, soybeans, corn. Yes. Uh, alfalfa, cotton, canola oil. And a lot of those have to do with what they call Roundup Ready. And we have, yeah. everyone has heard so how does Roundup. That work? And yeah. so, it, so how that works is, is what they've done is they've determined a gene that is resistant to Roundup. Roundup is, um, just for definition terms, is an inhibitor of photosynthesis. Okay. So it essentially makes the plant starve to death because it can no longer feed itself. So it disrupts their ability to uh, absorb sunlight and feed themselves. So uh, what they found is there's plants out there that uh, Roundup doesn't affect. So uh, as they have found that, so you take that that piece that that is not affected by Roundup and you isolate what part of that plant uh, seems to provide the resistance and you are able to then insert that in corn or in soybeans and you make them resilient to Roundup. So what it allows you to do is spread Roundup over corn that has started to grow, eliminating the weeds. By eliminating the weeds, you've created less competition for your corn. So you are potentially providing a, uh, a better crop. Uh, you're going to eliminate the competition for food, for nutrition. So you're going to provide the opportunity for maybe a higher yield on a smaller piece of ground. Um, so those are the kind of things. But gen genetically modified in and of itself is, is isolating um, a piece, you know, a, a gene splicing it into an organism that doesn't currently have that gene and then 
benefiting from it in that new sense. So that's what they've done. But a lot of times what they found is um, uh, that gene itself may not have come from, um, let's talk Jurassic Park. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not frog DNA. It's It's not not out of a mosquito that we found from years and years ago. But it's not from corn. It could be though. It it doesn't necessarily um, have to be from a different kind of plant. They may have just found a variety of corn uh, that is resilient to Roundup and they've replicated that corn, but it's not the most desirable kind of corn. It doesn't yield the highest or it doesn't, uh, the stalk's not strong or it isn't as sweet. So from a desirability standpoint, we isolate that gene that may or may not come from the same product and put it in the desirable plant that we want and benefit it from that change. So it's an opportunity. So um, yes, I I don't want to speak to to science completely because I do not know how to do this, nor will I know (laughs) what I understand the agronomic effect, the agricultural effect of of why, you know, and how we utilize them. And, And it allows us to increase yield. It allows us to provide what the consumer wants. I mean, that's, that's a lot of what it comes down to. It also allows to uh, maybe use less chemicals. Maybe I have to make less passes over a field to maintain the same, uh, you know, amount of crop, the same yield off of the same ground, because I may be able to apply Roundup twice where I would have to go after those weeds numerous times in, in other manners. So there's, there's many different ways. So there's, there's other pieces, um, uh, apples, there's genetically modified apples. Uh, they've isolated a protein in apples. You know, when you cut an apple open, it tends to brown very quickly sitting on your countertop. Yes. Uh, you know, there's... And the there's, kids won't eat it. The kids, the kids don't want it then. So they've isolated uh, that protein uh, that causes the browning, and they've been able to breed that into two apples successfully. Uh, but they bred that into apples that ha- people have good you know, table relationships with uh, golden delicious apple. They like that golden delicious apple. So they'll continue to purchase it. The apple that it was found in wasn't uh, an apple that was well known or uh, huh. highly coveted. So they bred it into the golden delicious apple. And after the breeding, they uh, scientifically can find very little evidence of what they did to that apple to make it not brown but it doesn't brown. So you have an apple that can sit on the shelf. The kids are more likely to eat it. So we round back to, uh, you know, cost effectiveness. You purchase that apple, you're not throwing half of it away. You can put it in the fridge and put it in their lunch tomorrow because it still, you know, looks white and pretty and, and they're none the wiser. And you feel, you know, but, I, but, but then we talk about, you know, what does it mean to, to manipulate, you know, fruits and vegetables in that way? Because once again, just like we talk about the cell phone, you know, long range, it, it has been around for quite a while, but it's becoming more popular. And uh, the long term, you know, connotations are, can be negative at times. And we don't know why, because we don't have any positive or negative information either side yeah. as of yet so there's there's nothing that we can say you're not familiar say. with any like uh i guess like uh research on like this genetically modified apple if you eat it it's actually not good for you it'll hurt you so one of the biggest things that we always want to talk about is no matter what and how we determine and define these definitions uh-huh. the nutritional value that is associated with these plants has not yet been altered I cannot make a superior apple that is more nutritionally valuable for you yet 
by doing anything to it. Okay. Whether it's organic, whether it's genetically modified, the nutritional value with that specific piece of fruit remains the same okay. across the board. So that is something that we are not doing scientifically. We are not enhancing the production or the nutritional value or enhancing anything else in these products right now by modifying them genetically, using them as organic, all natural, changing you know, how we, we produce them. We're not changing the physical nutritional value with any of these products. Okay, yeah, it's not, so it's not taking away from the... Not taking away, not adding <clears throat> to either of them. So <clears throat> that that's, you know, one of the things that we would want to portray is, you know, an honest opinion is that, you know, you're not changing you're, for the better or for the worse by utilizing some of these things. I right mean, now. so you said GMOs, well, like that, that GMO for the apple prevents the browning. Uh, and some of them prevent, like, protection against Roundup. Mm -hmm. Are some of that, is some of that used for protection against pests? And insects? Uh, sure, there there definitely is, and uh, uh, there is uh, what they call BT corn. What's a, a BT is a naturally occurring, and I'm going to butcher it if I try and say it, <laughs> but it's a naturally occurring item in the soil, but it's a natural insecticide. So we have isolated, you know, the the gene and uh, in that, and we're able to put it into the embryo stage of a corn plant, of a corn seed, and it retains that insecticide property, okay. where the insect then takes a nibble and the insect dies, thus eliminating the population that would then eliminate the plant. So you've incorporated it into the plant. There is no insecticide residue. There is nothing there that science can show as coming back out of the plant when it is consumed, whether that by, be by humans or animals. So you're not seeing a physical effect or, to the plant by changing the, the genes. Hmm. At the same time, corn that is not genetically modified, BT is a naturally occurring product mm -hmm. that can be utilized as your plant grows as an insecticide. You can place it on the plant in order to deter those insects. And it would be organic. Eating. And it is an organic. So that is correct. So it can be an organic product. But... It is placed on the outside of the plant. It's placed in volumes that could be greater than uh, what is, you know, the genes uh, splicing that takes place may affect. So I, as a farmer, am going to travel over that corn multiple times. I'm going to spray that corn multiple times. I'm going to use fuel multiple times. I'm going to take time out of my time. So I'm going to use products that, in the end, now we have a physical product that's been placed on the outside of the plant that may in fact affect us differently than being placed inside the plant. So, yeah. But from yeah. a scientific standpoint, yeah. there there isn't anything there to show a positive or negative at this point with that. But that's a specific example of, you know, like BT corn, you know, that, that exists out there. And that is specifically to help with pests. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it provides an opportunity for farmers to provide a better yeah you know a better product so, so it seems like like it's not a conspiracy to try to poison humanity or destroy <laughs> the environment like at the end of the day people who you, who are doing these things are trying to make the food uh, uh, easier to produce or last longer or save some of their own costs mm -hmm. and time and frustration mm -hmm. and that's as, at the end of the day it seems like that's what they're just trying to do oh at the end of the day you have to remember that 
a farmer's making a living like the rest of us are. So he in no way, shape or form is going to produce a product that is going to potentially harm his consumer, <laughs> whether that is a, a, an animal product, a vegetable product or any product for that matter. Uh, there, there is, you know, that is their livelihood. I mean, they, they need you to consume those products that they produce, but they want to be able to produce the same quality that is wanting to be purchased by the consumer. Consumers have high standards. They want yeah. things to look a certain way. They want it to, you know, smell a certain way. They want it to, you know, hold a, a place that, you know, in, in a certain way when they purchase it. And so as, as uh, you know, farmers continue to be provided opportunity to produce more, uh, ground in our area is, is extraordinarily expensive. Uh, land is going the opposite direction. We grow houses way better than we grow crops in Bucks County anymore. <laughs> I mean, there's just no doubt. Um, you know, so so farmers have less room to work with, or the cost is exp- exponentially higher to work with the ground they have, and and that's why we've seen the movement that we have. But uh, they, in the long run, are out to produce the best possible product for the consumer in order to capitalize on on you know being a farmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their livelihood as well. Yeah, because I know that it's so funny. It's like all these things are, are so true. Like at, at, at home, you know, the kids get, the kids get, uh, they won't eat like a grape that's a little bit, a little bit mushy. Like it's not like super crisp and firm, like it was freshly picked. And then they're like, oh, it's yucky. I can't eat it. So, so if they can find a way to keep the grapes uh, firm. I, I, my kids would, uh, <laughs> would certainly appreciate that, but uh, that, but that's what it seems like. Like the kids, the kids are the consumers; they won't eat it, you know. And the parents then they're frustrated; they don't want to buy it and stuff like that. Sure, and we've talked about before. I mean, you know, specializing in apples, uh, I want to produce the cleanest product that I know is going to sell. Um, you know, consumers want it to be the biggest; they want it to be the brightest, the shiniest. They all, they want it to be there, but they don't want it to be altered in any way. And I totally understand that from from a consumer standpoint. But um, I know that if I don't uh, provide uh, a barrier to keep insects away from the fruit early in the season, there's going to be blemishes on the fruit. The environment, the the woodlots, they they all harbor insects that are that are going to attack fruit. They're going to attack agronomic crops. And and my preventative is to spend some money for a chemical control, and that chemical will then make that blemish not exist because I know, you know, sorting through just as anyone else does the pile of apples at the, at the fruit market, I'm going to look for, you know, what Mm -hmm. I want and, and, you know, and a blemish is something that I don't want. But I also know as a, as a, you know, a producer, that blemish is meaningless. It is a, a skin deep, uh, quarter, quarter inch mark on the outside of fruit that has absolutely no bearing. The insect that made that, made that, uh, uh, you know, may have made that mark when that fruit was, uh, you know, the size of a marble and it was there for a couple of days in its life cycle. And now it's long gone and in no way, shape or form affects anything else on that fruit other than a skim blemish. It does nothing to the inside. It has not changed anything. There is no anything that that insect that could possibly be carrying at that time that could affect a human that would consume that fruit. So, but... The consumer dictates that they don't want that blemish, so I make sure that those blemishes don't exist because I have the ability to because science has allowed me to yes. find a way to deter those pests from the fruit at the right time in its life cycle. So those are you know the the, the pieces as a as a producer that we you know go back and forth with. So I guess a question that comes to mind for me is like you know what is 
what is the health impact? Is there a health impact? Like I was just having a conversation with a, with a woman uh, who came by our place of work and this was earlier this past week. And she was telling me, oh, she was raving about this alkaline diet. I think it was the alkaline, some diet. She was like, oh, it's, it's this great thing. I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's, she was like, oh, it's something to do with the fact that I avoid uh, foods that have been genetically modified. I'm like, okay. So she's telling me all about this. I'm like, I never, I'm as close to a blank slate as you can get on any of this stuff <laughs> as, as, as is possible. But I do remember, um, gosh, this is a couple of years ago now, a friend of mine took an apple and it wasn't actually, I know your, your expertise, your background is in apples. He took an apple and he showed it to me and I was like, you know, I was about to grab it from the basket and start eating it. And he was like, he's like, did you wash that? And I'm like, no, he was like, let me ask you a question. Would you take this apple and spray it with raid? And then would you eat that? And I'm like, what are you crazy? Like, no, of course I will. He's like, that's what you're doing. So all I kind of know about the organic, uh, quote unquote, uh, aspect of food is that, you know, when I go to the grocery store, I see a whole organic aisle. I know it costs me a lot more, but I don't know if like the payoff is there. I mean, maybe it is, but you know, even if there's not kind of a detrimental health impact in the short term for, for the consumers of these products, you know, I guess, A, is there evidence of kind of long-term detrimental impacts for diets that are regularly supplemented with, you know, these kind of, be it GMOs or be it, you know, pesticides, uh, fruits that's using pesticides, or is it just kind of like, you know, some of this is at least as far as personal health is concerned, kind of on the marketing side of things. And I honestly don't know. I know that like, again, I kind of, I was just at the grocery store the other day and I, I had an option for organic tomatoes or non-organic tomatoes. Like, well, there's like a buck 50 difference. I'm like, I'm going, I don't eat tomatoes all that often. Like I'm, I'm going for the non-organic cause you know, I'm yeah. just, but, but I don't know. Like, is it, is it worth the cost? Is it worth the cost? So, right? Like that's the question. Perfect opportunity. So I'm going to hit three things real quick here. The perfect one is the observation talking about spraying raid on the outside of an apple. Now, I just want to let you know, as a producer of apples, I pick apples, I handle apples. I then wash those apples before they leave my place, before they then go to, you know, the end consumer. So those apples have been handled. So, uh, you know, uh, I am not spraying raid on the apples, um, and then, <laughs> well, and thank then you for selling that, them immediately. But but yeah. unfortunately, that's a, that's a perfect negative connotation. Yeah. And and let's go back one step. And it's common. I've run into that it a couple is. times. And, and but let's go back one step further. Back when we talked about my licensing as a pesticide applicator, pesticide labels are very specific. And what they also include is what they call re-entry intervals and pre-harvest intervals. Mm -hmm. A re-entry interval means if I have sprayed and applied that chemical to my fruit, mm -hmm. I am not allowed to work in vicinity of that fruit for a certain designated time. A lot of times it's 24 to 48 hours, usually while it is still wet and I could absorb it through my skin or and I can't let anyone else work in that area as well. So I have to confine that area. Then we have a pre-harvest interval. Because we've talked about science, things break down naturally, whether it's sunshine, whether it's weather. Um, you know, there's there's uh, things that affect all of these pieces. And one of those, you know, is, is things that lay on the outside of the fruit. If it rains more than two inches, 99% of what was on there was washed away and has no more effectiveness at that point. So I may need to reapply. So the weather takes into consideration what I need to apply and when I need to apply, as well as the label states how much product I can use in any given life cycle of that plant. So there are major restrictions on that. So the spraying of raid, handing it to you, and then consuming it is a, a horrible misnomer. And um, But we have 
that perception and trying to break that perception is horrible from a standpoint from my standpoint because it's very hard to convince people that i am not doing that when they're not looking um so that's that's one piece that i want to touch on um looking at a secondary piece the cost of organic honestly the reason it's more expensive you have less of it Mm -hmm. so there's more demand for the product but less of it is being grown than conventional Mm -hmm. um the non-man-made chemicals that we are using are more expensive. They're more labor intensive. They have to be applied more often because maybe it only takes an inch of rain to wash something off that isn't as effective or doesn't have the residual as something else. So there is pieces of the puzzle that go into the cost associated with it, not because people just want to charge more because they can get more. There's actual cost of production there that is more expensive. So that's one piece that goes into it as well. So once again, we've defined that there's there's no uh, no nutritional value difference in the tomato, but the cost of production is definitely different. Maybe those tomatoes were produced in an atmosphere where, yes, there may be less use of products that are considered more harmful. And that is what, as a educational piece, I would want to promote is educate yourself. You know, those may be organic tomatoes, but where were those organic tomatoes grown? Were they grown in the United States? Were they grown outside of the country? These are all pieces that we have to take into the puzzle because Pennsylvania, the United States, USDA provides guidelines for myself as a producer. China, Chile, Canada, any other country has their own set of standards. Are they different from ours? Do they meet different standards? So those are all pieces of the puzzle that we'll want to take into consideration. And that's where speaking specifically to the education of the consumer is as a consumer of any product, you need to educate yourself and be comfortable in the purchase you make. I, there is space for every bit of the things that we've talked about in the consumer's market for a reason. Uh, I, I will grant you that there is a place for organic. There is a place for uh, specific dietary needs. There is a place for specific diets, uh, whether that be by uh, physiological needs or whether that is a, a choice that you make to choose for yourself. And that's that's perfectly fine. But from a standpoint of, uh, you know, production, cost of production, the pieces that go into the puzzle, you know, educate yourself as to as to where those products are coming from. And and if I can promote anything, it's a local farmer. Get to know who is producing your food. You'll be much more comfortable knowing where it's coming from. And be nice from. to that person. Well, and be nice to that person because <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a great, a great piece too. But we, we've talked about this before. You know, if you, you know, we're talking about, you know, not only supporting your local community members and your local farmer in their monetary value, you're, you're keeping everything close, but you know where it is. You can see the things in the backyard. You can see how they're handling their animals. You can see how they're handling their production. And then you're definitely making an educated, you know, choice as to why and how you choose to purchase. Mm -hmm. I mean, relationships go a lot further than any of these definitions that we're creating here, uh, you know, there's good, bad, is an indifference of all the conversations. But knowing where your food is coming from, seeing where it's coming from, talking with the person producing it is going to provide you with much more value and comfort than anything else will. And you had mentioned like the reentry timeline, just to go back to that just mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, and there was another time restraint. Is that from the time of selling the product? Yeah. So pre-harvest interval is uh, the term used that I cannot apply an insecticide, a pesticide, a fungicide, uh, X amount of days 
prior to harvest. So I have to have a minimum, say it's a, a 45 day pre-harvest interval. There must be at least 46 days from the time that I've last used that product to the time I harvest wow. and then sell that product. Okay. And that once again, it's based on science and degradation yes. of products on, you know, on the shelf. Like the half-life or when it winters off or when Sure, it, yeah, yeah, you know, all those, or, or taking into consideration weather or anything else. But those are the pieces that go into yeah. those numbers. And, and I'm required to keep tabs. I have to, I have to give you, a, a, any producer has to keep records. And they have to be accurate records because I could be at any time asked to provide them to you any audit. I can be audited. They could have to go to the state. So, uh, you know, any any time you have to keep production records and they can be provided to a consumer as well. So I have to tell you what I have done and when I've done it and what I mean, even going steps further as to the atmospheric conditions when I applied at the time of day, how long I was out there, how many gallons of water I used. You know, there are so many pieces of the puzzle that go into the restrictions that fall on me as a producer, just as much as, as anything else. So those pieces don't always make it to the consumer and don't always make it to the education of the consumer mm -hmm. um, because there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. But, you know, just like anybody else has restrictions and anything else they do, I have restrictions yeah. as well. So. Yeah, and at the end of the day, if people just wash their f produce before they eat it, that takes care that of that right there is is one of the one of the biggest things you can do. And, uh, you know, it, that's only going to I mean, only goes so deep. So I'm not going to speak that there isn't the opportunity for, for other contaminants, mm -hmm. but most of what you hear about contamination-wise is is due to, the, you know, stuff that's found on the exterior yeah. the or the vegetables or, or things like well, that. Well, you always yeah. have these, like, E. coli outbreaks on, like, kale or, like, well, think about lettuce. The, that's why I don't eat salads. Products. Because if I don't eat salads, <laughs> I never am threatened. Like, you never see an E. coli recall for bacon. So I'll just eat bacon and we're good to go, right? Hey, pigs are the ultimate animal. What other animal can eat vegetable waste and turn it into bacon? I mean, that right there is is just the ultimate in success. Uh, no, uh, think about your products, though. Think about kale. Think about lettuce. Think about how they're produced. A romaine head that you buy in the supermarket is a very tight clustered head. You want to buy it in a way uh, and they want to be able to sell it in a way that stores it. So contaminants that could get down in those individual leaves of lettuce and then are not cleaned out. So from from a standpoint of, of trying to produce them in, a, in a, a more clean environment, they're working on that, I'm sure. You know, but but from a consumer standpoint, breaking those lettuce pieces apart, uh, you know, not slicing it up and, and washing those leaves and drying those leaves individually is going to provide a giant help to you because that contaminant is something that could be contained on the exterior and could be eliminated in, in some extent. So, uh, you know, that, that's an opportunity. Um, but yes, there, there's plenty of other things that you, sure there is, is, you know, goes a little bit beyond just just washing. Yeah. Can well, I ask you like a super basic kind of silly question? Because I hear like, you know, wash your stuff, wash your vegetables. Like, okay, <laughs> do you use soap? Because like when I put the, when I peel the lettuce off, I put it in some water and kind of spin it around. Like, does that do the job or do I need to like apply something? That's super basic. I know. But I'm just like, you know, this is kind of a selfish question. <laughs> I'm going to go home tonight. I'm gonna wash, spray it with Lysol. I'm going to go home tonight, like make some like taco salad or something. And I'm like, I want to wash this. But like, what do I wash it with? Is it water? Or? I have absolutely no scientific basis for <laughs> We're providing any additional uh, product to, to washing your fruits and vegetables. I can't tell you that that Dawn dish soap is any better than uh, you know uh, anything else. There's there's commercially made uh, vegetable wash products out there. 
I don't know what's in them. I don't know. Because <laughs> like when I wash an apple, because I wash an apple, I use like a little drop of like dish soap. You know what I mean? But like if really? I wash now lettuce, eating dish soap. Well, no, but I rinse it because I can because <laughs> it's easy to rinse, right? But like if I put that with all the lettuce, it like it like messes with the flavor of it. I don't know. See, it's kind of now a weird that thing. we Eric's exactly <laughs> exactly right now. How much dish soap can we eat before it becomes problematic? <laughs> I, it perfect, but it's a if it's a perfect opportunity, but it's a perfect conversation. So you have provided at least an opportunity to you know take a portion it's been proven it's just like washing your hands to avoid the flu virus you know is hot water better than cold water is soap or a, you know is hand, hand sanitizer. sanitizer i don't know the answers to those questions mm. you know it's what makes you feel comfortable but <laughs> from from a basic standpoint you are definitely providing some additional help by yeah. taking as, as well as you know utilizing you know fruits and vegetables that you know you remove the peel you know you're you're going to be you know taking away well that's a lot another of question then like it's like they sell organic bananas mm -hmm. and if the difference between organic and non-organic is those chemical sprays mm -hmm. and whatnot does it even matter because like you're gonna scott you're not gonna eat the peel like at the end of the day does it really is there a difference between organic bananas and non-organic nutritionally there is no difference okay Physically, chemically, or how they are handled, there could be along the line. There could be differences in, in how they have been treated in the field. Um, you know, but does that mean that there is any difference when you consume them or when you get them? I don't know because I don't do the physical testing yeah. of those products. But I know they exist for a reason because there's a consumer that wants organic bananas. I know there's this consumer that wants conventional most of that's driven by price. So the opportunity exists for both of them yeah. to be out there. But yeah. that's where you educate yeah. yourself as a consumer and make that decision yeah. based on what you found to yeah. be a reason why you would go one way or the other. Well, is the other reason why organic is more expensive? Like, does a farmer have to, like, purchase a license or get the USDA or FDA to say, yes, I have blessed you now as organic, and now you got to pay me, I don't know, $1,000 to maintain the status? Like anything else, there there's all kinds of licensing. There's all kinds of restrictions. So, yes, there there are um, – there's a, a slight variation. Organic means that you have met the standards for USDA. You've been verified. And, yes, I'm, there's a monetary, uh, you know, uh, price to maintain that status because they're going to list you as – uh, you know, on a website or on a listing of a producer of organic. There's also what they call certified organic, which takes it one step further, oh, really? where, where people have come in and verified, um, you know, uh, yes, you, you've provided me, you know, with the minimum requirements to be organic, certified organic. Now I've tested your soil. I found that it is free of the wow. following items. I've tested your products and, and I verified one step further that I've in fact, you know, I certify you as an organic producer. Because of your soil. Uh, it could be because of your soil, but, it, but you know, it, it's one stage further. But once again, there is a, there's a cost associated with that. So the farmer has to make that choice. Can he make enough money producing that product to go to that extent? Is it valuable enough for him to go to that extent? Yeah. Um, you know, is the consumer willing to pay for that extra certification? Yeah. So, so there's opportunities out there but just like everything else there's regulations on but if like one field is organic or one farmer's organic and his neighbor is not like you said test the soil but what if there's like runoff or things like 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 how does that come into play once again we go back we go back to the restrictions we go back to the regulations um everyone tries their best um but 
there's no uh, you know physical barriers necessarily between <laughs> farms sometimes and and in uh, even on an individual farm they could have an area that is certified organic they may have an area that's not certified organic oh. maybe they're growing something else maybe their crop rotation warrants that they need to grow something else in close close proximity to their organic piece. So uh, I'm not going to say yeah. that it's it's good, bad, or indifferent in any way, but the reality is, you know, we're only as perfect as we choose to be. And so that becomes, you know, a great conversation piece. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, it's- a, Especially at dinner. Oh, yes, definitely at dinner. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, usually with a, a, a full group of individuals with uh, many differing uh, opinions. Uh, well, I have to ask you, Chris, do you buy organic? Uh, it, you know, uh, by choice, it depends on the product. Okay. And, and it, it, for no other reason than depending on, I honestly would say that our purchases, uh, from a household standard are dictated more on where they are produced. Okay. Than whether or not it's organic or not organic. Okay. And I think that's, uh, just a family choice, you know, the Caroline and I have, have made together, um, obviously being involved in this, I'm going to provide some information. Mm. But even in a family situation with my wife, we've had these conversations where she may choose to make a purchase for one reason or another, even though I've provided as much scientific basis and as much you know uh, expertise as I can. Doesn't mean we always agree on what <laughs> the best purchase may or may not be. So you know, so you go to that extent. But um, so yeah, I, I I won't lie. I, I've bought a little bit of everything, but yeah. I, I also will say that I'm much more likely to look at um, where something's produced, um, how it's produced, how it's made its way to my family, mm. than you know anything else from that matter. So yeah. it sounds like, I mean, kind of big picture. It, it sounds like um, there are risks, there are trade offs in in all of the cases. So. All else being equal, probably your best bet is shop local, right? Because locally you'll have a little bit, you know, not just a question of proximity and and shipping of the of the of the goods, but also you can kind of get some more visibility into how they're cultivated. Um, so, what would be the best way? Like, if somebody's out there listening to this, and you know, they would say, you know, and actually, this is something I might want to take some action on to to find like a local farmer where they can, cause I, I just Googled now local farmers markets near me. And I came up with three or four is the milk house market, Perkinsy farmers market, Bolton's farm market. So there's a handful of them that are kind of in driving. Just like, is that the best way? Just go check out one of these places on sure. an afternoon and kind of, you know, I guess, try to get what from there like it would just be produce and or meats or well, just a, produce a, or just vegetables take a look at the opportunity uh you know you you've got tons of farmers market a lot of them are seasonal uh perfect opportunity to meet your local farmers to mm. meet your local producers i i, I can name that every product that uh, you can purchase anywhere is produced in bucks county uh, i can probably help you to find out some of those locations it all goes back into your comfort level with the person producing it. I, I, and I'll be honest too, you can go into a farm market and they purchase things from outside because they can't produce it themselves. Maybe they can't produce it as well as something they can purchase. So you have to look in that. So so I wouldn't just blanket it with the sense of if you're buying at your local farmer's market, that everything was born, raised and grown right there in the backyard. Mm. Uh, that's where that the discussion topic becomes way more is getting to know your producer. Uh, and once again, they're in the market to produce a high quality product for their consumer. So they're going to tell you. They're going to share with you. They're yeah. going to make you understand why 
you know, not only they do it the way they do it, but but how, but when, yeah. but where, uh, to give you the perfect opportunity because, uh, you know, it's a sales pitch. I mean, that's, yeah. that's and they don't want to kill their to. consumer. I don't think they do. I think they're in the in the best interest of producing the highest quality good for the the benefit of their consumer. What you know, and and given the opportunity, they would they would choose to produce as best they can you know for the for the end consumer so so i think the opportunity exists to explore your local market but you need to just not take the blanket statement that if i go to that local i'm going to get what i expect to get you still have to have the the conversation you need to you need to find out you know what where how when and why and and you know and that gives you a perfect opportunity. But hit them all. Give them an all. Give them an all a chance. You know. I mean. You know. You, you never. But nothing's know what you're wrong with going. Like you wouldn't say anything wrong with like Wegmans or Giant or Faces. Oh no, we're in the same the same boat. They're yes, they're they're bigger markets. They're they're a little bit more commercial, but they're not in the. They don't want to hurt their consumer as well. They they mm-hmm. want to make their money as well. So so once again, there's there's no one out there, you know, choosing to be the bad guy. I'm going to say there's definitely some bad people out there to do some <laughs> bad things, but as a whole. They're very limited. You know, we, we are in the business of, you know, farmers produce the food. You need farmers. We, we need that expertise. We need people that know how to grow the food because uh, we're not getting any less people. We're not taking up any less space, you know, and we need to continue to find ways to, to feed the public and, and feed the world. And that just becomes, you know, one more piece yeah. of the puzzle to make it work and yeah. and maintaining your support for those local farmers maybe keeps them in yeah. business a little while yeah longer. well i know that there's a whole conversation that we could have about you know population and environment and stuff mm-hmm. like that i do want to hit on this i forgot to mention earlier i looked up a 2018 pew research center poll or survey and it found that about half of Americans think that genetically modified foods are worse for our health and will hurt the environment. And then about 45% of Americans believe that organic food is better for your health than traditionally grown pro- produce. So the country is split half and half, mm-hmm. which is uh, one of the another reason why we're having this conversation. But it, I just found it interesting that that half of the country thinks that GMOs are going to hurt the environment. Or, or you know, affect our health. I mean, I mean, do, does using pesticides, does being non-organic, or or does using GMOs? I mean, has anything shown that it's actually going to damage the the environment that we live in? Like, I don't know, cause uh, you know less production in the future, or drain the soil of its nutrients, or cause I don't know massive economic problems. I mean. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole lot to deal with there. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, that you know, big picture, uh, we only have the information we have right now. That's true. So um, we do the best with what we have right now. We continue to try and be uh, the best stewards for generations to come. Uh, we're not we're not trying to damage anyone down the down the line. Uh, you know, it, just like anything in the past, you, you're going to find out pros and cons of everything you know that has been done. Um, I'm not the least bit surprised by those numbers. Um, once again, we're we're talking about um, you know um, making personal choices based on what you've seen and what you've heard, or you know the conversations you've had with others. So um, you know uh, there may be a, a minor lack of data involved in those uh you know surveys but that is what it is um you know but it, but in terms of um uh you know gmos destroying <laughs> the land surface or things like that no those, those are those are pieces that are they're not taken 
into. Um, you know, uh, we've found pesticide resistance. We've we've found other things that are, are cumulative effects of of using some of the things. But through history, you can see that time and time again. There's cumulative effects of, of building too many houses on runoff and concrete surface area. There, you know, you go well beyond just agricultural. And I know that's what we're speaking of yeah, today. Yeah. But but you can go well beyond you know you know the salt we spread last night to make sure we could all get here safely today yeah. is going to run off into our environment. Um, regulated in its own way, but once again, you know, you know, it, it's something you have to take into effect. Now I take into effect, maybe that runs off into my field, and maybe I have to take that into effect in in what can or can't grow. Maybe it damages my soil in a different way. So there's oh, there's so many pieces of the puzzle. But I will tell you, we go back to the restrictions and the regulations. Anytime we we move earth, we plow ground, uh, we we do practices that are both, you know, preventative. We provide buffers. Um, you know, Delaware Valley University is located incredibly close to the Chamonix watershed. Okay. Well, we have all kinds of restrictions in place to make sure we have buffers so that any runoff is caught before it makes it to the stream. Uh, you know, so our fields are, are treated in a certain way that, you know, we want to handle that. And then we, we use the regulations provided to us to ensure that we're following them in a way that, you know, the government says is the best way to utilize, uh, you know, that, that those pieces to protect the environment, to protect the consumer, to protect everyone around us. And that goes into, you know, a whole host of, you know, we go well beyond just a vegetable and, and fruit production, animal production, animals yeah. on pasture, you know, manure. I mean, I'm involved in that as well. Uh, you know, our entire manure management program so for the university like, sounds like a fun thing to write let me tell you i try and go at least one day a week without talking about manure and here we are it's sunday and i'm talking about manure so uh you know it, it is you know so there's just you know there's so many cumulative pieces that we have to take into consideration but we go back to uh, nobody is out there to do it on purpose for the detriment of yeah. society in any way shape or form i think that's kind of the the basis that we want to want to head back to Okay. All right. Cool. Dylan, do you have any uh, questions or final thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I mean, it, so what? So one passage that kind of keeps coming back to mind for me is the curse that God pronounces in Genesis three, uh, starting at three seventeen to three nineteen. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So. One of the things that strikes me in all of this, and I know that, that that those particular verses have broader application than just what we're talking about here, but in its most immediate sense, um, I'm reminded in all of this that there are farmers and hardworking men and women who are just so in the weeds, no pun intended, <laughs> on on all of this stuff so that I don't have to be. And like that and I still, you know, I you know, to Chris's point too. Certainly the encouragement is there to go and get educated and, you know, pursue that conversation with your, your local farmer and, and their market because it sounds like there are some tangible benefits to that. But I would just say thank you <laughs> uh, and, and, and not just you but to all of the farmers and, you know, folks who are out there cultivating the fields and kind of really putting in, you know, by the sweat of their brow. And I go to the supermarket and I just buy it for a buck and a half. I mean that's just yeah. incredible in modern society. I mean – Paul Harvey was not far off when he said God made a farmer. So, um, so I would just say that that just came to mind for me, and I, I'm grateful to the Lord for 
um, just the abundance that yeah. we have uh, in all of this. Even that, like, it just strikes me that, like, this is even a question. Do I want to eat organic or non-organic? That's I mean, true. GMO or non like, like, what? Before it was like, do I eat or not eat? Exactly. Like, we're like the only, uh, in, in modern human society, like, no generations of humans even had these kinds of questions. It's like, you know, snack food? What What is, like, it, it's like the even idea in some parts of the world even today is, like, blasphemous. You know what I mean? It's like, what are you talking about? It's not like, I need to, I need to survive. So, yeah. I am I am encouraged by uh, so much of what you've brought to the table, Chris. And thank you for sharing yeah. the the knowledge that you have with us today. Well, and I and I I grow uh, uh, things in my backyard. You know, just personal with the family, with the kids, and it, it it's been uh, some lessons there. And I see the frustration. Like you know, we plant strawberries, and all of a sudden there are slugs and snails, and I'm like, where are they coming from? They weren't <laughs> even in my yard before I planted these strawberries, and now they just know that I'm there. They know my strawberries are there, and it's just like trying to find ways to get rid of them, and, and you know, whatever, all these pests that are taking out my my potatoes or my tomatoes or mm-hmm. or whatever, and now we have these Chinese lanternflies, spotted mm-hmm. lanternflies that will attack grapevines, and I haven't seen them on my grapes yet, you know, thank the Lord, but if that happens, I'm like, what am I, what am I going to do about it? Like the thorns and the thistles mm-hmm. and the pests, the result of the curse, like the farmers have to fight that, yeah. and, and we, in a sense, don't have to, we just buy... We just purchase the result. We get the fruit without the blood, sweat, and tears that went into that mm-hmm. uh, there. So it, it is. it helps me to be appreciative of that. And I'm doing it on like a small scale, and they're doing it on acres upon acres, and that's like their livelihood. If my garden fails, that's okay. I have a job, and I'll be fine. But for them, if it fails, everything falls apart. So that's, yeah. That's it. That's my thoughts on that there. Any final <laughs> words there for us? For the no, I, I, you know, uh, a perfect opportunity to get out and uh, uh, get to know your farmers, get to know your producers, um, educate yourself, take the opportunity to make an educated decision. And whatever you choose to do, stand by it for the reasons you've established in and of yourself. Um Take advantage of the education available to you. Delaware Valley has an unlimited amount of opportunities Mm. for the general public to uh, not only uh, see, visit, uh, but be educated, uh, you know, in all of this. So please feel free to reach out at any time and uh, continue the conversation. Uh, Dig deeper, you know, uh, you know, let's uh, create a a culture that is well-educated, well-informed and makes the most of it. Yeah. Can, uh, is there like a, a, a DelVal uh, email address or contact way that people could get in touch with you? I am more than welcome to contact me directly. That would be easiest. So uh, I'd probably be easy to find through DelVal, you know, Chris Becker, okay. uh, you know, at, at Delaware Valley. And uh, we'd be glad to put you in contact. So we send you with... pictures of food that we're purchasing. You say, is this good, Chris? Can I, can I buy this and I eat that? <laughs> I, I don't know that I want to be making those decisions for you, <laughs> but I'd be glad to answer, uh, you know, or at least provide uh, the right person to answer yeah. the question uh, the best way I can for you. Awesome. And, you know, uh, folks who are listening, if you want to email us at twoguysinabible.podcast at gmail.com, or if you go to our website, www.twoguysinabible.org, you can submit questions that way. And if you want to reach out to us, we can certainly uh, forward them off to Chris and uh, get an answer back to you, or maybe even have uh, Chris back on the show to talk about something else. You know, we never talked about free-range chickens or, <laughs> you know, grass fed beef and things like that so we'll have to we'll have to touch on that later because you know i'm interested in 
and meats and pork and bacon and stuff like that. It's stuff that really tastes good. The apples, yeah, that's okay. No. But anyways, uh, thank you all for listening. And Chris, thank you again for coming on the show. And uh, until next time, everyone, take care and God bless. God bless. God bless.